Well, I think it's pretty safe to assume that every one of us here has some stuff going on in our lives. For some of you, uh, you are winding down a school year and your finals are mounting and you know exactly the papers you got to get in and the tests you got to take to finish the year. For some of our college students, you're right in the middle of finals and you are fighting for the grades you need. Many young adults are looking for a job or the right job, a relationship or the right relationship, asking, could this person be the one? Marriage always comes with its tremendous joys and a few challenges along the way. Raising children at any stage takes time and energy and insight to balance the needs of the kids and the activities of the kids. I always love the old philosopher Irma Bombeck who said she remembers having children. She just can't remember why she had children. <laughs> she said she concluded, she thought it was a 4-H project that just got out of hand somewhere. Cutting through every stage are challenges, family challenges. Who here doesn't have a family challenge in their immediate family or extended family? Illness, an upcoming surgery, another round of treatments, fear. Sometimes you're the only one that know that knows that fear's going on. Confusion. Disappointments. Anxiety. Some are struggling with addictions. Doing their best to recover. Others are living without a home in our congregation. Man, there's all kinds of varying degrees of stuff. If we were to graph our life, it'd look something like this. We would just have ups and downs. Sometimes the peaks are higher. Sometimes the troughs are lower. But all through our lives, as circumstances hit, we've got these things going on. So here's a question. What if... There was a way to stay steady through all the ups and downs. What if there was a way to somehow live event-proof? What if there could be a, a calmness, a peace in our soul regarding of whether we had the best week of our life or the worst day? What if there was a way to sail more smoothly through the storms? What if, in the midst of all this stuff, our heartbeat could be kind of like that? We could just sail through, even when the waves are battering the boat, sail in calmness. Now, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have kind of another layer that we can think of. Let me throw out these 
theological words. There's first justification. That's when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He declares us, we stand before God, and because of Christ, he declares us not guilty. There is glorification. One day we will stand before God in a resurrected body. No more sin, no more disease, no more pending surgeries, no more treatment. We will be forever with the Lord. In the meantime... There's this thing called sanctification, and during that time, sanctification, sorry. I can't spell up close. Far away, I'm good, but not up close. And if we looked at our Christian life during this sanctification process, even for the believer, we, we, still, have, we still have ups and downs, right? Until we meet Christ face to face. That's the process of sanctification. We're gonna, we, we should see some progress, but we still have those ups and downs. So what if for the believer, what if us, for us, what if the highs could be higher and the lows lower? What if we could sin less? What if we could allow Christ to really take captive our thoughts? What if our hearts could really crave more intimacy? What, what if we could look a lot more like Christ and a lot less like the culture that we are so influenced by? What if our, what if our as a believer, what if our climb could be steeper, more exciting, more exhilarating? These are not hypothetical questions. Calm sailing is the call of Christ. Whether we're here in the South Hills, whether we're meeting at Wheeling and Maine in Washington, every person sitting in Center Street in Wilkinsburg, every person out in PTI in Robinson, people joining us online, every one of us within our grasp is this more exhilarating climb with Christ. It's not really even an option. It's the call of Christ. That's where he wants us to be. And that's where we want to be. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we begin a new series on the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Let me set the context. This past year, we have been following Jesus Christ through his earthly ministry, his public ministry. We watched him as he inaugurated that ministry, as he set it a sail, his first year of inauguration, where he had his baptism there in the Jordan, temptations in the desert, as, as he began preaching and, and healing people. We saw him go through his year of popularity when people were thronging to hear him. No one spoke like Jesus. No one taught like him. Remember, he taught with authority. And we followed him during his year of opposition as he was making his way to the cross. The religious leaders trying to put him on the cross, but no one could do that unless Jesus voluntarily went there and he made his way to the cross. And then Easter, we celebrated the fact that he defeated death itself. He put death to death and he rose again from the dead. And now he sits at God, the Father's right hand. What we want to do during this series is just kind of go back, 
Let's go back to the first year of Jesus' ministry. In fact, let's go back to the first sermon that he preached in Matthew chapter 5. This section of Scripture we call the Beatitudes. Now, what I want to do during the today is do an overview of the Beatitudes. We're going to drill down on every one of them over the next weeks. But today, let's look at an overview for our study. You remember that Jesus started his public ministry by being baptized right around in that area of the Jordan, right after he was baptized by John the Baptist. He went probably in this area for his temptations. And then right after that, Scripture says that Jesus went back up into Galilee. Jesus spent over two years of his three-year ministry there in Galilee in the northern part of Israel. Right here in Capernaum was his headquarters. And so the Sermon on the Mount took place in this area of Galilee. When Jesus went back up to Galilee, he hit the ground running. He was off to a fast start. Look at chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news to the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread, not just in Israel, but over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, uh, those suffering severe pain, um, those uh, who were demon-possessed, those having seizures, paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and the Diopolis and uh, Jerusalem and Judea and the regions across the Jordan followed him. Jesus' name was out there. People knew there was something different about him, and people were coming from large areas, big area, to see Jesus. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside. Don't think of a sheer mountainside, but think more of rolling hills. And Luke says that he found a flat place. He found a plateau in the mountains, and he sat down. The rabbis of that time, the teachers of that time, sat down. The students stood up. That's not a bad idea, actually, is it? <laughs> uh, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach. And the teaching that Jesus delivers is called the Sermon on the Mount. All the sermons of Jesus are important, but the Sermon on the Mount sets the tone. You see, those early followers of Jesus, they had a lot of questions. They thought maybe he might be the Messiah. Man, someone who could teach with the authority that he taught, someone who could heal like he could heal. He just might be the Hebrew Messiah, the Greek Christ. He might be the anointed one. And they were asking themselves, if he is the Messiah, we want to be with him. We want to follow him. We want to be on his team. But how do you do that? What makes you eligible to follow Jesus? How do you get in? What do you have to go through to follow this Jesus, if indeed he is the Messiah? To that point, the religious leaders had told them, well, to get to God, you have to do all these rules. The Old Testament law was put there to remind us that we couldn't get to God on our own, but the religious leaders had taken the law and said, that's the stair steps to heaven. And you do all these things, you do all these works, and just maybe if you do them well enough, and if you do enough of them, you might just maybe be able to work your way to heaven. And they were wondering, is that the message of Jesus too? 
Is that what we have to do? What's, what's, what's the standard of Jesus? And so right from the very beginning, Jesus gathers these people around him. His first sermon, he sets the standard. He tells the people that they are going to be the salt of the earth. They're going to be the light of the world. People are going to be able to look at them and see the work of God. He tells them in the Old Testament, you heard it said, you don't murder someone. You don't take your hands and kill someone. But this is a different day. This is a different kingdom. Murder takes place in your heart when you wish someone dead. He said in the Old Testament, you you heard it said you don't commit adultery, but this is a new day. This is a new kingdom. If you just lust for a person in your heart, that's adultery. And Jesus went through in in the Sermon on the Mount and he talked about what it really looked like to follow hard after him. He he talked about what it looked like to forgive other people. He talked about what it looked like to be generous to the needy. He talked about uh, what marriage looked like, always between a man and a woman for life. He talked about uh, what it looked like to, to not store up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. He talked about a new kingdom. He said, here are the things that we're gonna see you do But before he ever said anything about doing, Jesus started with being. He started right here in the heart. And he started with what we call the Beatitudes. Before you do, you have to be. Conduct flows from your character, from the inside out. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over the next weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, diving into each one of those verses, each truth, each beatitude. But today, I just want to pull back a little bit, and let's just look at the landscape. Two general observations about these beatitudes. First, I'm sure you noted, as we read through the verses that there was a word repeated on each beatitude. What was it? Blessed. In fact, the beatitude is the Latin word, comes from the Latin word, blessed. Back when the Bible was just in Latin, beatitude, and it has stuck throughout the years. Now, we use the word blessed a lot, don't we? We talk about uh, our job being a blessing. We talk about our children being a blessing. We talk about our grandchildren being a blessing. We talk about, we see an athlete on TV and he says, uh, I've been blessed with God-given ability. Sometimes a teenager will say, oh, God bless me. I got into the college I wanted to get into. A person in recovery might say, I've been, I've been clean for 87 days. What a, a, a blessing. And we tell other people, be sure to count your what? Now, there's one thing that's common in every one of those statements we just made. 
all those blessings come from outside in, right? That job, the children, the grandchildren, the things we're doing out there, those things are without and they come within. Those are external blessings. That is not what Jesus is talking about here in the Beatitudes. Here, Jesus is talking about something that starts inside of us and makes its way out. He is talking of something that exists regardless of my circumstance, regardless of my situation, regardless of how good or bad my day is going. The word in Greek is makarios, and it means happy. Now, I know in our day and age, happy has become a little superficial. It's kind of like the smiley face cookie, right? It's kind of like those emojis we put on our uh, text messages, a little smiley face. It's, we think of the song, remember Bobby uh, McFerrin's song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? Kind of superficial, not what the word means here. This word is significant. This word is deep. It means fortunate. It means to be congratulated by God. It means a sense of contentment. It means a sense of peace. It means a sense of joy. Blessing describes an internal state of being, an internal core that is protected from circumstances. It describes a stain-resistant fabric that God puts over one's soul. And so Jesus, as he begins to teach as he says, here's what the kingdom looks like. I want you to see what this new kingdom looks like. He says, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who understand they are spiritually bankrupt. They are the fortunate ones. They are to be graduated. They are to be congratulated, not graduated. One day they will, that's the glorification part, but congratulated. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are tender towards sin in their lives. They're going to receive comforts. They're the fortunate ones. They are to be congratulated. Happy are those who desire to be Christ-like, meek and gentle. Happy are those who crave a right relationship with God. Happy are those who understand God's great gift of mercy. Happy are those who will live wholeheartedly to God. Happy are those who have made peace with God. Happy are those whose lives are so upside down that the world mistakes their actions and persecutes them. Jesus says, you want to know the formula for true happiness? I mean, real happiness, not don't worry, be happy, superficial stuff. You want to know the formula for true peace, true contentment? Jesus says, right here it is. I've got it for you. And I'm going to start it by going through these verses called the Beatitude. Think of this. When people came to Jesus and they said, you may be the Messiah. If you are, we want to follow you. How do you get into this kingdom? It amazes me. The first thing that Jesus says is, I want you to be what? Happy. In the real sense, I want you to be joyful. In the, in the deep sense, I want you to be contented regardless of your circumstances. It doesn't matter where you're living in a mansion or the mission. It doesn't matter if you're at a high point or a low point. It doesn't matter if your refrigerator is full of food or if you're wondering where your next meal is going to come from. Jesus says the happiness 
I want to give you is circumstance proof. Circumstance proof. So every Monday through Friday in the mornings, I get up and go running. And I have these running shoes, this brand of running shoes that I have worn for many, many years. And every six months, I just get a, I get a new pair. So um, this time of the year, it seems, it's raining a lot. And so I get up in the mornings and it's raining. I check out my app and know what I got to put, how I have to dress. So I put on my rain gear and I take off and run on the road. And when I get done, my shoes are soaked, which means my what? My socks are soaked, which means my what? My feet. You guys are sharp. You guys are a sharp group. <laughs> and then by the time I get through with my four miles, it is miserable. I can't wait to get in and get those shoes off and peel off those socks. Miserable. My shoes are not waterproof, but I have some hiking boots that are waterproof. And I can walk through the rain, and I can walk through the slop, and I can walk through snow, and my feet stay dry. Regardless of what I'm walking through, regardless of the state of my what I'm walking through, the state of my feet never change. They are always dry and smelly in those hiking boots. Never changes. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, that's the kind of heart I can give you. Regardless of what you're living through, regardless of some of the toughest outside circumstances, I can give you a heart that is happy in the real sense of the word. I can give you a heart that is blessed. I can give you a heart that's fortunate. And all along the way, I will congratulate you and say, way to go. I am right there with you. So the first observation as we look at uh, the Beatitudes is this. The Beatitudes show us how to live a circumstance-proof life a life that's not impacted by all the stuff on the outside, a heart that continues to sail smoothly even through difficult times. Man, that's a heart I want, isn't it? That's the heart you want as well, I'm sure. We're going to cut to the campuses and Zeb and Tom and Matt in Wilkinsburg is going to do the second uh, observation. But I was thinking about this uh, last night uh, as I'm going through the sermon, you know, before I preach to you guys, I gotta, I'm in it all week, and uh, there's a lot of conviction and challenge and, and great joy in studying the scriptures. But uh, man, I've been going through a time when I when I draw those ups and downs, I, I'm I'm there, and so I, so um, so my family knows that, and people around me know that. And and last night, the Saturday evening service, uh, I, I usually stand right there in the back and just kind of hang out and, and watch the singing and. And I slipped out to get my last cup of coffee before I came up. And, and I went out there, and uh, there was no coffee. Now, that's bad. That's a bad thing. <laughs> so I was tipping the pot and shaking the pot. And Jen Fennell, who is my associate, just happened to be on the other side of the lobby. And she came over and said, like, are you okay? <laughs> and I said, well, I wish I had some coffee. But 
I'm preaching tonight a sermon about staying calm through all the disappointments of life. And she said, you really need that sermon really badly. So I need it. How do we stay calm through that? So Jesus teaches us how to keep this circumstance-proof life. Here's the second observation. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? Like you mean it. One more time. <laughs> Blessed, we'll do it together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the Very good. Now verse 10. Look at that again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because? First beatitude, last beatitude, bookended by the kingdom of heaven. Man, we read about that all through scripture, don't we? In fact, in the gospels, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which is the same thing, we find it about a hundred times in the gospels. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? When you're reading that, what should you be understanding? What should we be understanding? We'll start with the definition. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is simply this. It is the place where Jesus is ruling as king. The sphere or realm in which Jesus is reigning as king. That's the kingdom of heaven. So when we think of the kingdom of heaven, we need to think about, when we're reading scripture, we need to think about three things. There are three aspects of the kingdom of heaven. Number one is this. When, when Jesus walked on the earth, the kingdom of heaven was, heaven was present. Wherever he was, the kingdom of heaven was there. Remember the definition. Wherever Jesus is ruling as king, the sphere or realm where Jesus is reigning as king, that's the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus was walking in Galilee, when he was in Jerusalem, when he was on the boat with his disciples, when he was on the mountain, sitting down and teaching, the kingdom of heaven was present because where Jesus is ruling and reigning, the kingdom of heaven is there. So the kingdom of heaven has been, right? That's the first part. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven exists, remember, wherever Jesus is ruling or reigning. And so in the believer right now, Jesus said, I go away, but I'm going to send another comforter and he's going to be what? In you. And so the kingdom of heaven right now is in us. Think about that. We are the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual kingdom of heaven. Remember when Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate said, so you're a king, are you? And Jesus said, well, who told you that? Is that your idea or someone else's? And then Jesus said, I'm a king, but it is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. If it was this world, I wouldn't be standing here. I'd call angels to destroy this. I'd be out of here. But I came to institute a spiritual kingdom. That's why I'm going to the cross. I'm going to pay for the sins of the world. He didn't tell Pilate all this, but I'm going to, he was going to pay for the sins of the world so that we could be part of his kingdom. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. We are the kingdom of heaven. Colossians 1.13 says it this way, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That was the kingdom of Satan. And he brought us into the kingdom of what? The son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just think of the power of that. Man, if we could really grasp that. We are 
the kingdom of heaven. So when you go to work tomorrow, you're the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is right there in your office. When you go to school tomorrow in the classroom, there's the kingdom of heaven. Wherever you are driving in your car, the kingdom of heaven is driving down 19. Think about that when someone pulls out in front of you. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is in us. And so the kingdom of heaven was here. The kingdom of heaven is, and one more thing, The kingdom is coming. One day, Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? If we believe that, if we really believed it, it would change the way we live. That is a powerful perspective of life, isn't it? To know that this isn't it. And the things we do today Just prepare us for that time when Christ comes. 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. No one will miss that. Some people miss Jesus when he walked on earth, when the kingdom was right there present. Some people are missing the kingdom of God right now through us, but they will not miss Jesus that day. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That trumpet will be heard. The voice of the archangel will be heard. The loud command will be heard. Those who are dead in Christ will rise from the grave to a resurrected body. If we're still alive when he comes, we will meet him in the air and be with him forever. The kingdom is coming. So it's an already not yet kingdom. We're already here. It's already here living in us, but it's coming. That's why Paul says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. We're going to be like him. We just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. We talked about the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And so we will have that body. No more disease, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. Old things are passed away. New things have come. The kingdom then will finally be in the eternal state and we'll be a part of it. So when we think of the kingdom of God, remember, it's already come. It's here now. And it is coming as well. And the Beatitudes... The Beatitudes show us. Here's a second observation. The Beatitudes show us how to live in the kingdom of God today. How can we be those people who live in the kingdom of God right now? I want to wrap this up by uh, putting forth an invitation for you guys. At the end of your aisles, there should be a basket and a card and some writing utensils. If you take that and pass it down, I'll explain what we're going to do. Over the next weeks, we're going to be drilling down on every one of these Beatitudes. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to mourn? What does it really mean to be meek? What does that look like? What's it feel like? How, How do we apply that in our lives? But as we get started, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think of the word happy, not in that superficial way the culture puts it, okay? But the, but the deeper way that Jesus uses it. Here's the question. What 
really makes you happy. I mean, really. I know we're in church, so you're going to say, Jesus, can't put that down. (laughs) As you live your life, what is it that truly makes you happy? And to answer that question, what are you running after? What do you get up in the morning thinking about? What do you go to bed thinking about? If you were to evaluate your checkbook, your spending is going to tell you what you're really looking for. Is it a relationship? We will never find the happiness in a spouse that only God can give. And yet so many people are trying to do it. That's why even Christian marriages blow up. It's when you deify your spouse, you're always going to be disappointed and you're making them an idol. You're running after a job, my dream job. How many times do you hear people say that? I want my dream job. And then you get it and it's not always a dream. You're running after stuff. If I just, if I just made, how many times do we think this? If I just made more money, everything would be fine. If I just had more stuff, everything would be great. If I could just live in that house, if I could just drive that car, that, that would really make me happy. If my, if my business, if I could expand my business, now I'd be happy. But we all know when you expand your business, what do you want to do? Expand your business. What is it that really makes you happy? What are you, what are you going? What are you, what, are you, what are you craving? What are you going for? I'm going to ask you to write that on a card. And uh, Rick's going to come out and lead us in the last song. It's an old hymn of the faith. I'd rather have Jesus. Think about that. I'd rather have Jesus than all this other stuff. And if you really mean that, and we start this series together saying, okay, this is a time I'm going to dive down into this thing. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to prayerfully go through this scripture and pray that God makes my heart event-proof, that my, that my happiness, my joy, my calmness, my peace is just in him alone. Yeah, I got other stuff going on, and yeah, there are concerns, but, but I always want to be through the storm to say, okay, in my peace, there's, in my heart, there's this deep, Settled peace. So write on there what you're after, what you think really makes you happy. And just as an offering to God, we're going to ask you during this song to come and uh, put it at the foot of the cross as we've done. Now, as you put it at the foot of the cross, please don't leave. Go back to your seat as we uh, close together. And what we're going to do this week, our staff uh, meets on Wednesdays for our staff meeting, and we spend the first 45 minutes in prayer. So we're going to take those requests, and we're going to go down across the parking lot too. There's a prayer garden down there, and we're going to pray for as many as we can, and then we're just going to burn the rest of them. And just as a symbol, just as a symbol that these are going to God, so yours is going to be in there as a prayer to God. God, I want my peace, my happiness, my joy to be found in you. I don't want to chase after this thing. This is a thing I think is going to make me happy. I'm laying it down at the cross.